Thanks, Pastor Stevie. Well, good morning, church. I lost my voice first service, so I got to have water. I've been smoking for like three weeks. To breathe in Idaho is to smoke, um, so I sound a little raspy, which my wife likes that sometimes. Um, but it's really annoying when you're trying to speak and you can't say nothing. <laughs> so it's so good to have you again. Um, thank you. If you were involved in Q&A's at all, thank you so much for the, the volunteering that you did, the work that you put into it. Um, I know at First Service we had a brand new family as a result of the booth being there. So that was awesome. Uh, that alone is worth it. And uh, throwing all the little squishy balls, that was fun. I, I, I don't know. I didn't ask for permission, but I did stop the float in the middle of CUNA and just started getting out and throwing balls because they were not supposed to throw them from the windows. So... I followed the rules technically, but it did not say you could put it in park and get out. It didn't say you couldn't do that, so I did it. That was awesome. Yeah, thank you. I just, uh, rebellion, a little rebellion, it was good. And then we ran out of candy halfway down and stuff, so anyhow. Uh, but thanks for giving to that. It was a lot of fun, and it's always worth it uh, to let our community know that we love them. You know, and sometimes it's just through a little squishy ball um, or a piece of candy. But hey, we are going through the book of Joshua. We're going to wrap this up. Uh, we got two more lessons in that, including today. And uh, if you're here for the first time, uh, you might have missed out. What we have been going through was, was Joshua's leading a group of Israelites. Um, they, 40 years ago, left Egypt, and Moses led them out. You probably all know who Moses is. And he led them out of Egypt, and God said, there's a promised land called Canaan I'm going to give you. You've been a slavery for over 400 years, so I'm going to lead you out. I'm going to give you this land. So they get out on this journey, you know, Pharaoh chases them and the Red Sea opens and they go through then kills the bad guys. And, uh, and so they have about a four or five day journey to Canaan. But when they get there, they send spies, 12 spies, the spies go in, uh, 10 come out and say, it's, it's amazing land, but we can't do it. There's giants there. We're, we're too scared. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb said, we can totally do this. But unfortunately the crowd won uh, this thing. They won the vote. And uh, just because the crowd wins the vote doesn't mean it's right. All right, they won the vote, and, and yet for 40 years they had to wander in the wilderness. And so 40 years have gone by, a next generation has been raised up. Joshua is leading this new generation into the land of Canaan. Um, and though God gave it to them, they still have to battle their way through it. And, and that relates to our Christian walk. We give our hearts to Christ, which makes eternity dealt with. We get to go to heaven, but the battle is on a day-to-day basis. All right, that's what we fight is that battle. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, So let's wrap this up. The title is Focused and Faithful. Focused and Faithful. Uh, We are in a world that I call an ADD world where everything is always trying to get your attention. Now you got your phone beeping, you got all things going on, you got advertising, all kinds of things that try to get your attention. And so I think today's message is something that we need because we need to stay focused on God's word. We need to stay focused on being faithful. That God has this whole thing in order. And there's nothing going on in our world right now that has God concerned. There's, there's not one time that God goes, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> you know, Jesus, what are we going to do? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says. Um, they don't have these little staff meetings go, this was unexpected. No, everything is going out as planned. God's word will come to pass and he will come back to take his church. My encouragement to you today, right now, because we don't know when he's coming back, is if you are not right with Jesus today, get right with Jesus right now. Amen. Like, don't, don't push it off. There is going to be people left behind that, that say, well, I'll give my life to Christ tomorrow. I want to have a party today. Or, and, uh, tomorrow. tomorrow is today's enemy. Okay? Tomorrow is today's enemy. So we need this message because our world has become comfortable with compromise. And I want to start out with two questions the first one is this. When is the last time God asked your opinion on something? 
<laughs> Never, that's what I thought. And number two, when is the last time you gave it to him anyway? <laughs> All the time, right? God doesn't ask us an opinion on his word. He doesn't give us a, a you know, it's not a democracy. Servant God isn't a democracy. We don't get a vote on what we get to believe and what we don't want to believe. Uh, matter of fact, if your home was a democracy, and, and maybe it is and it shouldn't be, because a home should be a dictatorship, baby. You dictate what happens. You don't let the children, because when you let the children determine what happens, it will go the wrong direction. You can't get together with your kids and go, okay, we're going to all vote on the rules. <laughs> what should bedtime be? <laughs> no bedtime. Okay. Motion carried. All right. You don't do that. When should you take out the trash? <laughs> when I feel like it or when I tell you to? When we feel like it, which will be never. Right? You don't let kids determine the course of your home or it will become a mess. It's the same thing with God's word. God doesn't give us the, the option to choose what we want to do or what we don't want to do. The word of God is the word of God, and we need to believe it 100%, and we need to do the best we can to live it 100%. Okay? He doesn't ask our opinions on this. So as we go through the book, or as we've gone through the book of Joshua, we'll see that, that Joshua didn't really get a vote on what God told him to do. And right now he's eradicating the evil, wicked people out of this land. So even though God gave them the land, God says, you still have to deal with the cities because the people are so vile, they're so wicked, so evil, they must be completely eradicated. We've learned this, that God gave the promise, but promises have to be pursued in order to be possessed. In other words, you can put the present under the tree, but the kids are supposed to get up in the morning and go get the present and open it. You don't get the present, bring it to their bed and say, hey, I got this for you. I'm going to unwrap it for you. Here it is. That's, we kind of want God to do that, but he doesn't. God says it's there, but you have to pursue it. And we don't have that option to pick and choose which part of the Bible we want to obey or want to believe. So as Joshua has been commanded by God to wipe out all the evil inhabitants of the promised land, and as we go through this as Americans, it's a little bit hard for us because there's a lot of killing that goes on in these chapters. There's a lot of war, and God is serious about eradicating the sin. God knows that these cities will not turn to him. Okay, he knows the future. He knows they will not turn. He says, Joshua, you have to kill all the people. And again, as Americans, we're like, whoa, wait, wait, what? And, but that's not how God dealt with stuff in the Old Testament. Sin had to be dealt with, and it had to be dealt with severely. And why would God do this? Here's the answer, because if you allow evil to live, it will infect uh, the Israelites for the rest of the generations. That's what he tells Joshua. If you don't deal with the sin, it's going to infect your children. You have to learn how to deal with it. What you don't contain will become contamination. The same thing in our walk with God. Okay, you don't, what you don't contain will become contamination. We look at sexual immorality. How, how is it, I had this thought the other day, that, that how, how is it that with sexuality that God can make something perfectly okay, but then it's also very evil? The same, it's the same thing, right? Like sexuality is a blessing from God and it's, only, it's also a curse. What, what makes it a blessing from God? The rules, right? The wedding ring. Okay. So one day it can be sin, the next day it can be bliss. Right? The day before the wedding, day after the wedding. What's the difference? God's ways. God's rules, following the commitment that God has given us. So when you get away from following God's word and God's ways, evil becomes the way of life. Okay, I'm going to talk about the 60s, which I did not live in the 60s. As a matter of fact, I was on the tail end of the 70s. So I didn't get to see the 60s, but I've read enough about it. Some of you have lived it. And the thing was, live and let live. Do what you want. Have sex with anybody you want to, whenever you want to. Take all the drugs that you want. Some of you were in the 60s, but you don't remember the 60s because of all the stuff you took. 
right? You have no memory of it, so it's good. It's as if you didn't get it. Okay, follow your flesh. That was kind of the thing. Just, you know, if you're not with the one you love, love the one you're with. Just free sex, free whatever it is you want to do. But we found that it was very destructive. Because when the 70s and 80s came about, the residue was still lingering in America as to that type of, of living. Sin always destroys, and rules have a reason. Rules have a reason. So as we've gone through this book, we see God tell Joshua to wipe out the entire populations for a reason. On the surface, again, it sounds terrible, but you have to see the big picture. That wickedness and evil had to be dealt with or it would keep growing. Again, don't misinterpret some of what I say today. Um, you know, we'll see some of these Christians quotes, and I don't know if they're Christians or not, but if they murder a doctor who performs abortions, that is not what we're talking about. Okay, that, that, that is not the right thing to do. So to Joshua, God gave specific instructions for specific people for a specific time. As we go through this, I want us to look at our own hearts first. Um, if you missed last week's, go back and listen to it. Um, it was called Kings in a Cave. You know, five kings. Anybody think, go buy five guys, burgers and fries, and think about this? I hope so, because if not, I'm not an effective communicator. <laughs> there, there was five kings, five guys. They, were, they, they had their names each meant something, you know, pride, haughtiness. Um, and we deal with those things in our own hearts, those little kings that want to live in us. And we have to continually fight those things. All right. We notice two phrases as we go through. I'm going to read you. Is it okay if I read the Bible today? <laughs> Never mind, this is not a democracy, it's a dictatorship. And I'm the dictator because I'm going to dictate to you what I want you to hear. Uh, we're going to read through some of the war stories in the Bible. It's a different approach than normal because I'm actually going to read through the chapter. Uh, so it's going to be a little wordy. You're going to hear words that you don't quite understand. There's going to be names of towns that I'm probably misinterpreting. But if you say it with enough confidence, you're not going to question me because my degree is in Bible, right? I'm going to do the best I can, but we have to read the whole story. Um, I'll skip over some of the, the parts that, you know, I didn't think were really pertinent to the story, uh, but you can go back and read those. But we're going to notice two things. We're going to notice some phrases, and I want you to pick those out as I'm reading or as you're reading it on the screen or looking at your Bible. The two phrases are this. Number one is they moved on, and the second phrase is he left no survivors. We're going to see this pattern, and I had never really seen this before until I started studying this, and I started underlining it, and he left no survivors, and he left no survivors, and he left no survivors, and he moved on, and they went, and they moved on, and they went. And so we're going to deal with those at the very end of the message. All right. Uh, so I have to read this as a war story. Again, it's, it's a little lengthy, but it's worth reading, all right? Because if I tell you to read it, most of you won't. <laughs> That's the truth, right? You'd be like, yeah, I'm going to read it. And then something else will happen. Why? Because we live in an ADD world where something else is always wanting your attention. So the first part, we're going to read Joshua 10, 28 through 43. So Joshua chapter 10, verse 28 through 43. Okay, last week we talked about um, where the hailstones, that God raided hailstones down on the enemy and it killed more enemy with hailstones than the enemy did with their swords. Uh, so God invented carpet bombing and it said they were large hailstones. So I'm thinking bowling ball styles because if I was God, that's what I would do. Like I wouldn't do like a meteor. I would do like enough to get individuals. Okay, but I'm not God, so that's good. But anyways, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, go back and read the story. It's really a pretty amazing. So here's what Joshua did. It says, that day Joshua took Makeda, but he put, he put the city to the sword and totally destroyed everyone in it. This is chapter 10. He left no survivors. He did to the king of Makeda as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him moved on 
from Makeda to Libna and attacked it. These are the cities of the five kings. They got the five kings down to go into the cities that they were kings over and wiping them out. As the Lord gave that city and its king into Israel's hand, the city and everyone in it, Joshua put to the sword. He left no survivors there, and he did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Now, I want to mention something I didn't mention in first service, but Jesus himself said this, because we talk about the children. What about the women and children? He said they left nobody alive. Um, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these referring to children. So here's what I personally believe. I believe that every child that didn't know right or wrong or didn't know to reject God, I believe from those cities will be in heaven. That's just my personal belief, uh, because they didn't have a a chance to really know what sin was. Uh, So sometimes, even in war these days, when children are killed, they would have followed a different God. They would not have followed the God that we follow. And I believe that war has produced a lot of young people in heaven that probably would not have served God had they lived. So I want to think about it that way, that God is a merciful God. God is compassionate. He's merciful. So I believe that all the kids here um, went to heaven because they weren't old enough to know right and wrong or reject God. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him moved on from Libna to Lachish, and he took up positions against it and attacked it. The Lord handed Lachish over to Israel, and Joshua took it on the second day. The city and everyone in it he put to the sword, just as he had done to Libna. Meanwhile, Horam, he was a king over an old folks home full of grumpy old men. Um, Horam, king of Gezer... Geezer's a biblical word. So wives, if your husband's old and grumpy and you call him a geezer, just say, I'm just speaking the Bible. I'm just quoting quoting the Bible. And then we'll call you Horam. All right. (laughs) It's a give and take thing, all right? (laughs) The king of Geezer, he can't get offended, all right? I just gave you all permission to call each other biblical names. Uh, Let's move on. He'd come up to help Lachish, this guy. But Joshua defeated him and his army until no survivors were left. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him moved on from Lachish to Eglon. They took positions against it and they attacked it. They captured it in the same day and they put to the sword and totally destroyed everyone in it just as they had done to Lachish. This is a lot of fighting in one day. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him went up from Eglon to Hebron and attacked it. They took the city and put it to the sword together with its king, its villages and everyone in it. They left no survivors. Just as at Eglon, they totally destroyed it and everyone in it. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him turned around and attacked Debir. They took that city, its king and his villages, and they put them to the sword. Everyone in it, they totally destroyed. They left no survivors. They did to Debir and its king as they had done to Libna and its king and to Hebron. So Joshua subdued the whole region, including the hill country, the Negev, the western foothills, and the mountain slopes together with all their kings. He left no survivors. He totally destroyed all who breathed, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. Joshua subdued them from, Gaza, from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza. Okay, Gaza's still around today. From the whole region, from Goshen to Gibeon. All these kings and their lands Joshua conquered in one campaign because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. And I will tell you that when you serve God, God will fight for you. Whatever it is that you're facing right now, you, you're, when your life belongs to Christ, okay, and he is your master, he is not just your master and your Lord, but he is also the warrior that will fight for you. There's certain battles that you've been trying to fight on your own, and God says, will you just let me get involved because I can take care of this. Okay, I can take care of this better than you can. So Joshua wipes out five kings and their armies, and then again, now they're dealing with the cities. 
And I will tell you this, I probably should have made this a slide, doing God's will isn't always easy or convenient, but it's always necessary in order for you to go forward. Let me read it again. Doing God's will isn't always easy or convenient, but it is necessary for you to go forward um, in your life, okay? God tells Joshua to completely wipe out the evil from the land. In other words, he's saying you're a surgeon and you're dealing with a deadly cancer that's inhabiting this land. And if you don't deal with it, it's going to infect your children. It's going to infect the, fur, the, the far generations from you. Uh, with you, I, I mean, if I wanted to hire an exterminator, I want to hire an aggressive exterminator. Right? I don't want to hire an exterminator and have him go, yeah, well, I got 50% of the problem. <laughs> Right? If you, if you have cancer, you want the, 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 the guy to get all of it, right? Not just part of it. You don't want somebody who's dealing with your cancer to go, yeah, I got 80%, but I had a ball game to catch, so good luck. No, we want an aggressive surgeon, don't we? We want somebody who's going to get all of it. And in our lives, we have to be aggressive towards sin because sin is aggressive toward us. It's aggressive toward us. The story is really a picture of our life as a Christian. Okay, there's always a battle to fight and an enemy to contain within our own hearts. And so let's read the next one. This one I'm going to skip around just a little bit more because, again, it has a lot of little details that aren't really pertinent to what we're talking about. It says, when Jabin, king of Hazor, this is chapter 11, verse 1, heard this, he sent word to, I love this, it's from the south, to Joe Bob. <laughs> he sent word to Joe Bob, king of Madon, and to the kings of Shimron and Akshif. And to the northern kings who were in the mountains in the Arab south of Kinnereth, in the western foothills and the Foth Dor on the west. It'd mean more if it said, you know, the kings of Cuna and the, the kings of Nampa and Boise and Meridian. That's why I said, I read it, it's a little bit wordy. And it goes on to say that the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all these sites. Um, so they're, they're fighting all these, these bad guys, we'll just call them bad guys. They all got together, and they're like, okay, we're going to go to war against Joshua. And verse 4 says, they came out with all their troops and a large number of horses and chariots. And I don't care how big your army is, when you come against the army of the living God, you will lose. You will lose. And we will see this happen in Revelation, right? If you lead forward, I mean, this is all like, wow, this is Old Testament stuff. But guys, in the New Testament, okay, the, what we're living right now that hasn't happened yet, a lot of these countries will come against Israel again. The Bible talks about it. China, okay, Russia, there's Gog and Magog. Uh, we've got in this in our study in Revelation. There's a lot of nations that are going to come against Israel. And anytime Israel is mentioned in the news, I pay attention to it. Because Israel is the center of the world, not America. We're, we, we think we're that good, but we're not. We're not, even mentioned, we're, not even, we're not even mentioned in the Bible that we know of. That's how important we are. It's like we didn't even get a participant ribbon. It's like you're looking back. Oh, and there was America that was there for 250 years and then gone. All right, and we don't know if the rapture takes place. We don't know how America doesn't play in the end times, all right? At least biblically, we don't know. But there's a lot of countries that do. Again, there's, there's China, there's, there's Russia, specific countries um, that are named in the Bible that come against Israel, uh, and Israel wins. Why? Because Israel is protected by God. Let me tell you this. Israel will not be wiped off the face of this earth. I don't care what Iranian president thinks he can do it. It's not going to happen, okay? Because I know what the Bible says about it. Well, Israel has been attacked basically in their whole existence. So all these armies come against Israel. And it says they came out in, in, with all their troops in large numbers, their horses, their chariots, a huge army, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Verse 5, all these kings joined forces and they made camp together at the waters of Merim to fight against Israel. It'd be a losing battle. And the Lord said to Joshua, 
Do not be afraid of them. Because by this time tomorrow, I will hand all of them over to Israel, slain. You're to hamstring their horses and you're to burn their chariots. I love that. Hamstring the horses and burn the chariots. Why would God say to Joshua, don't be afraid? Why would God tell Joshua, hey, be courageous? Here's what I believe. Joshua was, was God's man of faith and power, but he was still human. He still had human emotions. He still had this, what if we don't win? The scout comes back and says, Joshua, as far as I can see, there's enemy. I think, I think Joshua might have been, okay, is that too many? Even though he saw all these victories, he was still a man. And so don't be so hard on yourself when you have fears. Don't be so hard on yourself when you go through a hard time going, I know God's faithful, but this is scary. That's not lack of faith, all right? God is still God, and he's still going to get you through it. But God has grace for our humanness. He has grace for those times when we're like, ah, this is kind of scary, all right? And that's, what, that's why it's mentioned here when God says, hey, don't worry about it. Now, here's what I wish God would do in our lives. I wish he would tell us, hey, by the time tomorrow, your problem is going to be gone. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be great if God had a time limit on it? Like, okay, no, don't no problem. Joshua, tomorrow they're going to be wiped out. Oh, cool. I don't have to worry for another 18 hours. Yeah, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> and when you wipe them out, hamstring the horses and burn the chariots. Unfortunately, God doesn't give us a timetable on our problems. I wish he did sometime. Maybe not. Maybe it'd be like, no, bro, it's going to be like 18 years. I don't want to know that, right? Maybe we shouldn't know. Maybe we should have hope that tomorrow is going to be our day of salvation. Because knowing the future isn't always a good thing. But here's what he's supposed to do. So Joshua and the whole army came against them suddenly. So they decided to get on the offensive. They attacked um, at the waters of Miriam, and they attacked them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel. Okay, we don't know what the battle was like, but we know that God did it. They defeated them, and they pursued them all the way to greater Sidon, to Mizparoth, Maim, and the valley of Mizpah to the east, until no survivors were left. Joshua did to them as the Lord had directed he hamstrung their horses and he burned their chariots. Okay? Will that be said of us that we did as God had directed? That when I stand before God, I will give an account of how I lived. I will give an account of what I did with what he gave me. Will I be able to say, Lord, I did the best that I could. I tried my best. Yes, I messed up a lot. But I did the best I could with what you told me to do. And I love that about Joshua. He did as the Lord had directed. And God has his reasons for why he told Joshua to do the things that he had to do. Verse 10, at that time, Joshua turned back and he captured Hazor and he put its king to the sword. Um, Hazor had been the head of all these kingdoms. Everyone in it, they put to the sword. They totally destroyed them, not sparing anything that breathed. And he burned up Hazor himself. If you go down to, to verse 14, it says this, not sparing anyone who breathed. Verse 15 says, he left nothing undone that the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, he was following uh, Moses, and then when he took over, he was doing the things that God told Moses to do. Uh, how will you be remembered? See, right here, Joshua is remembered as a man who did everything that God had asked him to do. Okay? Did Joshua make his mistakes? Absolutely. He didn't live a sinless life. That was only Jesus. But Joshua did the best he could with what he had. I'm sure he sinned in between. I'm sure he had tempers. I'm sure he did some things that, that if they were in the Bible, you go, oh, wow, he was a human. He had some fears. But he actively did the things that God had asked him to do. Verse 19, okay, goes on to talk about the wars. He subdued all these, 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 these uh, cities, these kings. In verse 19, it says this, Joshua waged war against all these kings for a long time. 
And scholars figure it's about seven years, okay, it took him to subdue all of Canaan. Okay, some wars, guys, we fight for a long time. Some wars you will fight to the day you die. You just keep getting up and you keep battling, you keep fighting. He says this, verse 19, Except for the Hivites living in Gibeon, not one city made a treaty of peace with Israelites who took them all in battle. And I look at that as, as a, a picture of today in our walk with Jesus. It says, because if you were here a couple weeks back, we talked about Gibeon where they came and they deceived the Israelites going, hey, we came from a long ways away, but we're here to make peace with you. They came to find out they were only like 50 miles away. They kind of snuck in, but they, they were protected because of they did that. And it's like a Christian, when we give our hearts to Christ, we are protected from the end time trouble. Like hell, we don't have to pay for hell. Jesus already paid for it. So as a Christian, we, we got in. And it says the only city that made a treaty of peace was Gibeon, meaning that all the other cities had opportunity to, but their hearts were so hardened, as we'll see, this says God hardened their hearts because he knew they are not going to turn to me. And so today, if you have a hard heart toward God, you have to believe that hell is what you will pay for for eternity if you reject Jesus. I mean, that's, that's how I preach because it's real, right? Heaven and hell are real places. Heaven is not the default. Heaven is not the place that everyone goes when they die. You have to choose heaven because hell is the default. The soul that sins shall surely die. The wages of sin is death. There's a lot of biblical fact um, that, that when we don't let Jesus forgive us, we have to pay for our own sins for eternity in hell. And I don't want that for anybody and neither does God. That's why he makes it really easy that all we have to do is ask Jesus to be our savior and we get heaven that fast. Like I said, it takes longer to buy a gun in California than it does to get saved for eternity. Amen. Amen. Isn't that crazy? There's not a waiting period. You don't say, Jesus, I want to give you my life. Okay, you got three days to prove it. Aren't you glad? We're going to do a background check on you. Uh, no, uh, no. It's that good? There's no background check with salvation. I love that. It's all we have to do is confess our sins. And the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins right there, right then. And I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of this service to do that. And if we're raptured out of here, <laughs> you waited too long. All right, pray the prayer. You, be, you get to become the pastor of this church. And man, you're going to preach you hard if you're the only one left. And I'm going to be like, he was right. He was right. Because this place is going to be packed, all right, on the day of the rapture. Just be ready, Okay. No survivors were left. They moved on. Okay? He totally destroyed them. He fully obeyed. And then it goes on to say at that time, verse 21, Joshua went and destroyed the Anakites. The Anakites were giants like Goliath. They were actually literal giants. Uh, from the hill country, from Hebron, Debir, Anab, and all the hill country of Judah. And from all the hill country of Israel, Joshua totally destroyed them and their towns. No Anakites were left in Israelite territory, only in Gaza. Gath, Gath is where Goliath was actually from, and Ashdod did any survive. So Joshua took the entire land, just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to the tribal divisions. And then the last part of the verse says this. <sighs> Take a deep breath. Then the land had rest from war. Isn't that great? To know that there's all these battles that take place. It's a seven-year takeover of this country that God gave you, but it's still a fight. And then the last verse is, and then the land had rest from war. It's like when your college-age student drives away, and you are now an empty nester. And then you had rest from war. Right? You'll get that, right? And then you had rest from war. Then you get the grandkids to spoil all right, so let's talk about this. Um, again, I don't want to hold you here all day long. 
But here's what I want to do. So we've read, kind of got the hard part out of the way, the reading and some of the confusing language and stuff. But there's a point I want to make with it. The story that we've read is really a picture of our life as a Christian. There's always a battle to fight. There's always an enemy. There's always one more thing to conquer. And it's not always easy. There's an enemy to contain within our own hearts. And how this relates to us as a Christian is this. Number one, write this down or take a picture with your phone. That's what I do at conferences. There will always be a battle to fight. Know that. Just like Joshua, there was always something to fight. And when you get one defeated, you have to learn how to move on to the next one. But know that there's always going to be a battle. I don't tell you that to discourage you. I tell you that because that's just the reality of the Christian walk. See, before a Christian, the easiest thing for temp- to deal with, with temptation was to say yes to it. But then you become a Christian, you have to start saying no to the things you used to say yes to. That's actually a little bit harder. You have to say no to those things that will take you in the wrong direction. But there will always be a battle to fight. Don't be surprised at that. Eternity is taken care of. You've given your life to Jesus Christ, you're good to go. It's just like, like Scott says when he speaks, then it's the, it's the daily battle. It's the things we have to deal with on a daily basis. There's always a battle to fight. You have an enemy. Your enemy is not your spouse or your boss, your neighbor, or even your local pastor. It's not the enemy. The enemy is the devil. They might annoy you. I'm in there. I might annoy you, but they don't have it out for you like the devil does. Okay, I might annoy you, but I really do have the best for you. I want you to succeed in your walk with God and in life. And you'll see that when Joshua defeats one enemy, there's another one to deal with. My dad taught me this a long time ago. He said, when you deal with problem number one, problem number two becomes problem number one. So you always have a problem number one, right? It's just always something that you have to deal with. See, it's like owning property, okay? There are always weeds to deal with. (laughs) I'm I'm excited about our building project. If you don't know, we're building a new 25,000 square foot building out where your car is now currently parked. And... uh, we have a majority of the money raised already to build the structure, so I'm excited. We got, you can probably see stakes and stuff out there um, where it's going to go. And what I was excited about yesterday is I was looking out, because weeds are a thing we fight all the time. We have a big sprayer. We double the dose, man. We try to kill those things, and, um, and man, they're just tenacious. I'm like, why can't we have corn growing out there or you know, zucchinis or whatnot? Um, but why do weeds have to grow? Because when you don't plant any seed at all, it's always the weeds that grow. I've never had one good plant out there that I've seen. And I'm like, whoa, there's corn. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say anything about marijuana, but in some, maybe Oregon, maybe that's how they fund some things. I don't know, but uh, we would spray those. I, I, let me just, let me, can I just do an aside here? I, I bet you, I bet you, because I grew up in Humboldt County, Northern California. I grew up in a little tiny town on the Klamath River. I bet I am the only one who walked out of church on a Sunday morning and seen the local pot grower drive by the church building with a, on a Subaru Brat with about 12 pot plants tied through his windows on top of his car driving by church. Anybody ever experienced that? That's where I grew up. <laughs> You've probably seen people that smoked it during church, but um, I remember that he just drove by in his Subaru Brat with all these pot plants on top of his car, and that was before it was legal in California. So that's how I grew up. Um, he's also the same guy that when they did a raid on his house... He, he said, There's, I, have, I have booby traps all the way up to my big pot patch. So they called the bomb squad in from Eureka. And when they got there, he said, just kidding. <laughs> he was actually a really nice man. I went to school with his kids, but um, it was kind of funny. So that's how I grew up. It was just a, just a different 
different way to grow up. There's always a battle to fight. But let me tell you something, how I look at sin, the best ways to describe sin are goat heads. Goat heads are the worst, right? If, if you didn't know what they were, you do now. Puncture tires and in your feet. Okay, they, they grow on hot asphalt. I've never seen a weed that can grow on hot asphalt in 110 degree weather. Uh, they don't need water. They grow low and flat, so you don't really see them if you're not out there. They, and they, every little seed that you see is actually five seeds. They, they reproduce really, really fast, and they're super hard to get rid of. You have to keep fighting them as they will not go away on their own. That's how I look at sin. So when I, when I, I was fighting some at my house, and I had a half a tote full. I mean, just because they just seemed to grow overnight. And I went out yesterday to do something with a horse, and I noticed there's hundreds of little seedlings that are growing. So I, you know, I nuked them. I'm going to go nuke them again because if you don't deal with them when they're little, they get big, all right? It's like sin, right? Little sins turn into big sins, and big sins will kill you. And, and so when we moved to our property, backing up about 15 years ago, uh, my son was collecting something in an Easter egg. And so one day he had this egg, and I'm like, Travis, you know, like, what you got in the egg? And he opens it up, as I remember the story, it's been 15 years, and he opens it up, and he's got a goat head collection in the egg. <laughs> and we're getting ready to move out to our property, and I'm like, bro, uh-uh. This is not a democracy. This is a dictatorship. You can't, with that, I'll keep him, I'll keep him in the egg. Obviously, he did not keep them in the egg. No, it, he actually, we, we disposed of them. The ones that are on my property now came in from the irrigation canal where they drive back there and it tracks them in and then the horse steps on them and it goes around. Uh, so it just gets spread. And when you go spray them, you step on them and spread them yourself. So they are hard to get rid of. But times, guys, that we have little seeds in the egg that will kill us, but we kind of like it. We kind of think, well, I'll keep this contained. I'll keep it close. And that's not how it works because sin will always come out. The egg will always be opened up. And we, if we harbor those little seeds going, well, I'll never, you know, I'll never plant them. It's just my little collection. We can't be collecting seed sins and not expect bad things to happen. And I think as Americans, as a world, that we've gotten away from God's word and we've begun to allow sin to grow. And once it grows, it's really hard to stop. Because we're getting preached a gospel these days. Or I shouldn't say a gospel. Gospel means good news. We're, we're preach, getting preached a message that, that sin is okay and it's not. That immorality is okay and it's not. That your kid can decide their gender and they can't. God decided that. God decided that, guys. In the beginning, God made them male and female. Is there confusion? Sure there is. And we've got to be graceful with that. As a church, we, we have to be graceful with confusion. But we have to teach through confusion. Okay, we have to teach, as I taught my son, okay, this confusion, there's go-heads. I know you think they're not going to get out, but they will because I'm looking at the future going, if we let someone get out, it's just going to spread and it's going to contaminate. I wish somebody would learn to, you know, put like lemon cucumbers on a go-head plant. (laughs) Figure that out for me, all right? Um, All right. When you allow evil to live, it keeps reproducing. Okay, I want you to think about infection, okay, antibiotics. Why is it important to take the full dose of antibiotics? Well, if you haven't studied, usually it's like a 10-day dose or a 7-day dose. But you start feeling good after day 3, and what happens? You kind of forget, but what happens is antibiotics kill the weak ones off first. And if you just kill the weak ones off, then the strong ones are left, and you quit taking antibiotics. Those ones begin to reproduce at the same strength, okay? 
So then all of a sudden the strong ones are reproducing. You have to take everything to kill all of it. The strong ones are more resistant and they reproduce after themselves as God has a reason for telling Joshua to eradicate the evil people in this land. In other words, get all the goat head plants. Take all the antibiotics. Get all the cancer cells. Why? Because it's a matter of life and death for the next generation. Spiritually, stay focused. Stay faithful. Number two, this might apply to you today. They moved on. What is it in your life that, that you need to move on from? Maybe it's an offense. Maybe it's something that your boss did or your pastor did or your spouse did or your kid did. Uh, you have to learn how to move on to the next battle because you can't rest on the victory as that they have or they, they can rest on the defeated AI when they didn't do what was right and they got beat once. It's a simple phrase, but you need to remember this. In order to move forward, you have to move on. You have to move on. The last verse of this chapter says they had rest from war. So there's hope, but they had to win one battle and then focus on the next one. See, what you hold on to matters. You've heard me say this a lot. If you've been here very long, what you hold on to really does matter. Why? Because what you hold on to keeps you in victory or keeps you in defeat. You're holding on to an argument you had a week or two ago or last month or two years or five years or whatever, and you're just focused on that thing. It will eat you up. It will cause you to be bitter. You have to know when to let go of things because it will either keep you in victory or it will keep you in defeat. Some of you are so wrapped up in what someone else did to you or what you did to someone else that you're living a somewhat miserable life. And that's not the life that God wants for you. But you have to learn how to deal with it. You have to learn how to move on. Now, granted, some people aren't happy unless they're miserable. You know anybody like that? Don't elbow your spouse, all right? But some people, they're not happy. Misery is their happiness. And if, and if they're not miserable, they will find something to be miserable about. They will create their own drama. So stay away from them if possible. Move away from the things that would take you backwards. And Joshua has to obey to set up the future generation for blessing, and I believe that we're the same. Evil had to be dealt with. Learn to see the big picture, okay? If I don't deal with this little thing now, if I don't deal with a little thing now, it becomes a big thing later. And again, big things are harder to deal with. My final thought is this, and I, I think I say this often, but it's relevant to me. It's relevant to my pretty much every hour of every day. What are you holding on to that you need to let go of? What do you hold on to? That you need to let go of. It might, again, be somebody said something mean to you, somebody cut you off. You ever had your, your day ruined by somebody cutting you off in traffic? It's like every time you travel down Eagle Road. Now, Meridian Road is becoming Eagle Road, right? You're like, you know, back roads if I possibly can. But you could have a perfectly good day ruined by somebody who cuts you off and you hold that one thing against them. Instead of just saying, you know what? It's fine. I had a guy last night tailgating me, man. And uh, I was just like, bro, you're in a hurry, aren't you? And I'm just watching. I'm going the speed limit. I could tell he wants to pass me, but there's other cars coming, and I'm just secretly grinning because he's just on my tail. And I was going speed limit, and I'm just like looking at him here and going, man, you are in a hurry. You're in a hurry. He's like, I don't know if he had to go to the bathroom or what his deal was, but then, um, you know, I didn't brake check in. But I, I turned, and as, as I turned left, he kept going. I said, now you can go as fast as you want. <laughs> That's why I said that out loud in my, my, my truck. You can go as fast as you want now. You're not gonna, but I could have got spun up about it, right? I could have slammed on my brakes. I could have, I could have got, I had to learn, okay, I just got to let go. His driving is his issue. And if I make it mine, it's going to ruin part of my day, which it's hard for me not to do that. 
So my daily quote to myself is, what am I holding on to right now in this very moment that I need to let go of? And what I've learned is you can hold on to something without realizing it. It can affect you in a big way. I've known a lot of people that are very bitter, but they don't realize that their, their bitterness is rooted in their unforgiveness, not what somebody else did. They think it's the other person's fault, but it's not. It's really how we deal with things. I'll close with this. The Apostle Paul addressed his past victories. The Apostle Paul wrote half the New Testament. He addressed his past victories and his past defeats. This was a guy who fought Christians. This was a man who pursued people, who was breathing out murderous threats to those who were following Jesus. And he had his God moment where he thought he was serving God, but he wasn't. He was serving himself. And he had this meeting with Jesus, and it knocked him to the ground, and it changed his life. So Paul then began, okay, he went from Saul, he got his name changed to Paul. He went and started planning these churches, but I believe that he planted churches in towns where he persecuted husbands, where he persecuted wives. And I think he had to deal with that. I think he had to look into congregations and, and maybe say, man, I'm, I'm the fault, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the fault, I'm the problem, or it's my fault. I wasn't speaking in tongues, I was just tongue twisted, um, <laughs> although I do. Uh, it, it's my fault that that kid's an orphan. I think Paul had to deal with those things. You're the one that I beat, I locked up, and man, I had you whipped. And I think he had to deal with that stuff. I think he was a very confident, he had a very humble man. He had to deal with those things. He had to deal with his victories, and he had to deal with his defeats. But he was a guy who had a past to get over. But I will tell you this, learn to get over your past. You have to. God has gotten over your past. You need to get over your past. Don't play bigger than God. Don't bring up those things that God has forgotten about. God's like, yeah, that was you then, but this is you now. You go forward in faith. You keep fighting. You don't let your your past, and I've told you this for years, your past is either an anchor or a sail. Your past will either take you forward or will hold you back. So don't play bigger than God. Don't bring up all the stuff that you did because God's like, what are you talking about? Don't you wish our spouses were like that? I wish I was like that. Right? When I say spouses, I mean me. Like I, wish, I wish I could just have that memory that wasn't there. Like, oh, you've never offended me ever before. Life is great. I wish that we were like that. I wish we were like that with a lot of people, a lot of just people in our lives that we hold on to things. We need to learn to let go, and that's always a work in progress, isn't it? It is for me. Paul says, like, okay, listen, here's what I do. In Philippians chapter 3, he writes, he pens this letter to the Philippians. He goes on talking, and in midway of the sentence, he says, that's why the dots are there. He says, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Why does he use the word straining? Because it's hard. It's not easy to go forward. There's resistance. That's why he uses the word straining to go forward. I press on. Press on meaning it's hard. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. His whole goal was, number one, to see people saved, to see people come to know Jesus. And number two is just to get to heaven. That was his goal. He's like, I just want to finish well. I want to do what God has asked me to do. And everywhere Paul went, we're like, man, Paul was a great man of God. I got it right. That's great. But he got beat up wherever he went. When you read his life story, you're like, yeah, he, you know, he's standing on the podium holding the gold medal. But when you, you see what happened or what it took to happen for him to get there, you're like, yeah, no thanks. Because I think every kid sees themselves on a, you know, the podium at the Olympics with the gold medal going, yeah. But when you find out what it takes to get there, you're like, I don't have the time, nor the energy, nor the body type. <laughs> it's like, we, that, you never see all the hours it takes to get to the podium. Well, let me tell you something. There's a lot of people that you're sitting next to now that have done a lot of battling in moments you've never seen, but you will see the results. Because when they stand before God, God will say, well done, good and faithful sermon. Now you, you did what I asked you to do. 
<laughs> and you're like, yeah, but God, I messed up. He's like, yeah, I know. Don't talk about the mess ups. That's why Jesus came. You served me. You served me the best of your ability. At times you did it. At times that you messed up. But you know what? You mess up, fess up, get right, get going. That's what God wants. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for effort. So you continue to fight. You continue to battle. Stay focused. Stay faithful. I really believe, church, that this world is winding down. I think we're seeing things go on right now that end toward or are leaning toward the end times. I see that. Okay? I, I, I see that in prophecy, there's nothing that has to happen now for the rapture to take place. And if you're sitting here going, what's the rapture? The rapture is when all the Christians just go, boop, gone. And I always joke about, be careful where you're sitting. If you're under a beam, make sure that you sit away from the beam because I don't know how that works with a heavenly body. <laughs> Dink. You hear a lot of tinks on the way up. Oh, I don't know how that works. But what I know is Jesus is coming back for us. He's coming back and I think he's coming back soon. I'm not saying tomorrow, I'm not saying next year, but I know that Jesus said, I am coming soon and I believe it. Okay, and even then, most of us in this place now have 50 years or less. Some of us have a lot less than that. Some of us have a few more, but averaging out, that's not very long. Be right with God, church. Amen? Amen. Be right with God. Bow your heads if you would. I want to close this way because I told you, if you were here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, that's really what the focus has to be right now. And you may think I'm not worthy. I mean, I've done so much stuff. That's, you're exactly the one that God wants. Right? None of us are worthy. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me tell you something. You might be sitting around going, well, these are a bunch of Christians. You know, they got it all together. And I'm like, no, I'm their pastor. They don't. I know. Okay? I know a lot of dirt because I know my own dirt. But God loves you. He wants you to come home. But you have to be willing to, to get forgiven of your sins. You have, to, you have to be willing to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. You can't go to heaven without him as your savior. You can't. Hell is the place you will spend if you don't give your life to Jesus. So if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to, I'm not pushing him on you, but I'm just giving you an opportunity. The gift is there. Will you take it? And if that's you, I want you to just lift your hand up where I can see it. I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out. But if you're here today and you need to give your life to Christ, if you need to get forgiven, okay, just lift your hand up just briefly. Okay. All right. We see a hand there. Anybody else? Okay, and here's, here's what I like to do as a church family. We just pray this prayer together. I'm going to re- say a prayer, and please repeat it after me. And if you need to give your life to Christ, you say this. Okay, if you're already saved, say it with the one that isn't saved yet. But let's just pray it together. Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me my sins. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. I believe you are the Son of God. And the only way to heaven. And I also know that I'm now forgiven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Welcome to the family. Amen. That's it. Amen. Thank you for making that decision. The church, thank you so much for being here. You know, we're, I'm excited where we are as a church family. Um, you know, I told, was telling somebody the other day, I had 30 years of full-time ministry at the end of May. And I was like... That's why I'm tired. Um, you know, 30, 30 years, yeah, I started when I was 10. Um, actually, I was, I was 20. I was 20 when I graduated. But I'm having more fun now with our church family than I have had in 30 years of ministry. And guys, that's how much you mean to me. Um, so thank you. Thank you for being 
just awesome. Uh, the word that I hear from around town of how friendly you are when people come and visit, um, there's, that means so much to me. And so I thank you again just for just being amazing. And, uh, and it's, it's cool, again, going into the building project. And again, this will be, our, I think, our fifth one. Um, 80... I think 80% or 85% of pastors retire out or retire, uh, resign after a building project. Um, and we've gone through four, so I'm not planning to. Uh, I'm excited about this one, and, and this is going to be an amazing thing. But I just want to say thank you for Bob Heart for being a fun church to pastor, just for being loving. Um, again, I'm just, I wasn't planning on saying this, but it, you guys impress me. You really do. And, you know, some, sometimes the church depresses the pastor, other times they impress the pastor, and you're in that category. So thank you so much. Uh, keep it contained. <laughs> Love you all. Wednesday night, again, Bible study, uh, we go through the book of Genesis, and uh, we're going to verse by verse. That's what we do on Wednesday nights, and this place is full of people, so it's a, it's a lot of fun. We have something for every age, so we'd love to invite you to that. Uh, we try to keep it about an hour and 10 minutes or so. Um, anyways, love you. If you see a weed outside, pick it. Have a great day. We'll see you soon. If, you have a, if there's go-heads, run them over.